Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. You're listening to the Late Night Football Show with your host, Rohit Singh. That's me. On this show, we talk about some of the most serious, least silly topics from the world of football for your entertainment and enjoyment. Please remember that the show is BYOL. Bring your own laughs, since we don't have the budget for a studio audience. Happy listening. Hello everyone and welcome to Late Night Football's final episode for this month. <laughs> I'm actually trying a different format today from the usual. So instead of covering some of the news from the week, we're actually going to analyze a piece of footballing history. Let's see how this goes. Please do share your thoughts in the comments below and don't forget to like, subscribe and most importantly, share this video. I'll say it again later in case you've forgotten. So anyway, let's get started. Now in case you haven't heard, the Premier League is restarting on June 17th. This is good news for Liverpool fans of course, who are going to complete their title victory this season. And since Liverpool fans are going to have so much to celebrate in June, I thought it's only fair for the rest of us to talk about the infamous slip from 2014, when Liverpool's title challenge that year fell down, uh, apart, because of one unfortunate incident. If you're not a Liverpool fan, I recommend listening to this episode now and when Liverpool officially win the title, because it will bring a joy to your face in these dark times. Alright, so let's set the context for those who may not know what I'm talking about or have forgotten. Now the match in question is Liverpool vs Chelsea at Anfield in May 2014, when technically Liverpool, Chelsea and Manchester City were all fighting for the league title in the final weeks of the season. Now in my opinion 2014 was pretty much the nadir year for English football in general. I know some people refer to Euro 2016 as a really bleak moment in English football, but at least then they made it to the knockout rounds of the European Championships, they had that Leicester title win which was the greatest footballing story of the 21st century and won't be topped again for years if ever. 2014 was just dull, I mean England were knocked out of the group stages of the World Cup without winning a game, English clubs were pretty hopeless in European competitions, both of them, and of the top two teams that year, one was knocked out in the round of 16 in the Champions League and the other didn't even play in Europe. And the third place team, Chelsea, did finish in the semi-finals but by the end many of their key players were left injured. And it was against this backdrop that this match took place. Now technically, the Premier League and Sky Sports, they called it a three-way race at that time but realistically it was between Liverpool and Manchester City. At the time of this match, 35 games had been played by most of the teams, Liverpool were on 80 points, Chelsea on 75 and City were on 74 points but they had a game in hand so they had only played 34 games. So technically you could say that they were on 77 points uh, for clarity. So mathematically if Liverpool wanted to win the title they needed a maximum of 7 points. That was all they needed from the next 3 games. Uh, Liverpool had played City before this game and had beaten them 2-1 in a, another dramatic game uh, and after that the captain Steven Gerrard he got the players in a huddle and he said 
what is now an infamous word. He said, this does not slip now. Oh dear, oh dear. <laughs> anyway, the omens going into the game were actually good for Liverpool because Chelsea came into this match decimated with injuries. Their first choice goalkeeper, Petr Cech, was out injured and they had to start a teenage centre-half, Tomasz Kalash, in his debut match. So he was making his debut in Anfield. Any expert at this point would have predicted a win for Liverpool because they were at home, they were in form, they were playing against a side that was hampered by injuries and they were coming up after a really, really important victory in the previous game. However, there was an X factor in this. Even at that time when I was watching this game or when I was previewing this game for myself, that X factor was Jose Mourinho. Now, I've always felt that if you compile the list of Jose's most hated clubs, you would have Liverpool and Barcelona at the top of that. I don't know which one would be first, maybe Barcelona, because of what happened with him and Pep Guardiola at the time of Pep's appointment and also during his time at Real Madrid. But during 2004 to 2007, when Mourinho was at Chelsea, he was twice denied the Champions League final because of Liverpool. The first one was that infamous ghost goal from Milan Baros. I'm not sure if you remember that. Um, Jose maintains still this day that that goal didn't cross the line and that Chelsea were robbed. But the referee did come out and said that it wouldn't have mattered because he would have given a penalty anyway. So, but you know, knowing Jose, he's still bitter about that, right? Uh, but anyway, there was one manager in the league who was going to do everything to stop Liverpool from winning the title at the time. It was Jose Mourinho. And so I knew that even with limited personnel, Jose would make sure that uh, Liverpool, that he could do everything possible for Liverpool to not win the title. So he did what he does best. He played what started as a back five, uh, you know, with the with four, with four centre halves and, and a defensive midfielder, but it was really a back five, and that soon turned into a back nine, uh, or what we call in the football business, we call it park the bus. <laughs> Now, Liverpool, who came into this game on the back of some superb form, uh, they quickly established their rhythm, they were passing the ball around nicely, but they couldn't break down the Chelsea wall of players. Because, you know, Liverpool's play was very narrow, and Chelsea had, when they were playing, they had very, uh, you know, they packed the midfield, and so essentially, they had to go wide, which they couldn't, and it was difficult for them in that game, as, you know, difficult to break down that wall. But here's the crux of the whole implosion that Liverpool had. You see, they didn't need to beat Chelsea that day. They needed seven points from three games. So a draw in this one would have been just fine because the next two games were pretty winnable, right? So all they had to do would, was, was get a draw in this game. And Chelsea didn't come there to win, right? They had no intention of winning that game. You could see that their tactics were clearly designed to just frustrate the opposition. So all Liverpool had to do was keep the ball, keep probing away. And if a chance came, then take it. Or, you know, keep plugging away and then take the draw. Yes, you want to win every game that you play, but sometimes you take a draw because it's better than a loss. Unfortunately, most of these players hadn't been in a title race before and being so used to being attacking, I guess they didn't know what to do, you know, what to do about this wall of players that were standing in front of them, how to play, they had no alternate methods, and so they started panicking when they didn't score. And when that happens, you know, passes are being hurried, defenders are moving higher up the pitch because they want to support the attack, the concentration levels start to drop a little bit because you're too focused on what's happening in front of you. And with all that, well, it happened, right? So let's talk about that moment. Now, it's often said that great playmakers, they think two or three passes ahead. They know what to do with the ball even before it's played to them. You'll hear that all the time, you know, that they're quick, quick mind, you know, quick in mind, not necessarily quick with the feet, but they're very quick with their mind. They only know what they want to do. 
And it was possible that Gerard was thinking that way too at this moment, uh, you know, where his mind was already thinking what he was going to do with the ball before he had it. The issue is that Gerard was never a great playmaker. He was a good player who occasionally put in great performances, but he was never a consistently great player. Now there, I made a controversial statement. Right? But anyway, in this instance, when he received the ball from Sako, because his mind was probably already on to the next play, his concentration level might have dropped a little bit. You know, he didn't trap the ball properly. If you watch that play again, the pass was made, he didn't trap the ball. The ball goes under his feet, and he hurries around to get it, because he's seeing that bar is running towards it, and then he slips. And after that, it's too late. The ball is with Bar, who's running with the ball towards goal, and he's one-on-one -on -one with the goalkeeper, and he scores. Now, if the game management was proper, what would have happened is that the defenders would be much further back, because Sako is the centre-half. So, for him to be at the halfway line, and Gerard to be right level with him, uh, it was just madness. So, the defenders would be further back, Gerard would be playing a bit higher up, because he's not a central defensive midfielder, and none of this would have happened, because a draw was good enough. <laughs> keep making that point. Anyway, Chelsea went from a back 9 to a back 10, pretty much after that. Uh, Liverpool kept passing and probing and shooting and crossing and anything else they could think of, but they couldn't break down the Chelsea wall. And they didn't have Chris Jericho to help them break down the wall. <laughs> Reference there. And in the final stages, they lost the ball again, and Torres ran free with it in a 2-on-1 against the goalkeeper, and he passed it to Villian, and he scored. Now, it would have been hilarious if Torres, who was a cult hero at Liverpool just four years earlier, had scored at Anfield to end, you know, their title challenge. I don't think he would have celebrated, but I can imagine the meltdown that Liverpool fans would have had that day. Some of them are still bitter that Michael Owen had the temerity to win the league with Manchester United, so God alone knows what, what would have happened that day. Anyway, the final score was 2-0 to Chelsea, and Liverpool's title challenge was on life support, pretty much. I do believe if Liverpool had equalised in that game, they would have won the match, or at least the title. Because when you come through something like that, where you've pretty much been handed a lifeline, you are extra motivated to not let it slip after that. What did I say? <laughs> the aftermath didn't get much better for Liverpool though, or for Gerrard for that matter. Manchester City had a better goal difference, so two wins out of two would still not be enough assuming Manchester City won all of their games. So they went into the Crystal Palace game the following week, and they actually took a 3-0 lead. And I remember we were watching that commentary actually for this game, and what to, and what happened towards the end was that the commentators were talking about scoring 5 or 6 goals to make it interesting, and I do think that that was where Liverpool's head was at at the moment, was trying to score as many as they could, especially in the last 15-20 to 20 minutes, so that they could catch up on goal difference. And once again, attack means defence is neglected, and Crystal Palace scored three goals in the last 10 minutes, a 3-3 scoreline which effectively ended Liverpool's title challenge. Uh, this traumatic match also has its own name called Kristanbul, for those of you who don't know, um, which is, you know, a play on Istanbul, which is one of the finer memories in Liverpool history, but then Chris for Crystal Palace. Anyway, a lot of people are often divided as to which match was actually the deal-breaker. Some think it was Crystal Palace, some think it was Chelsea, but I think for me it was the Chelsea game, because if they'd even drawn that one, they wouldn't need to chase six goals in this one and end up drawing it. So essentially, if they had got the point that they needed from that game, they wouldn't have to go gung-ho in the last 10 minutes, trying to salvage something, and that game was was sort of the, the tipping point, really. Uh, Gerard actually had a good game in this one against Crystal Palace, but by the end, anyone who watched that game could tell he was emotionally spent. Uh, I think even he knew that his time was done. Like, this this was it. This was the season that was it. And he played for a couple more seasons after that, but I 
think that he believed that this was his magnum opus and he had failed. And I don't think he ever recovered from this game. I think he had enough strength to recover from the Chelsea game, but I think drawing this one and knowing that the title challenge was over, I think I think that was that was pretty much it. A couple of months later, he captained England at his final World Cup, and he assisted Suarez for a match-winning goal in that game. Except Suarez was playing for Uruguay, not Liverpool, so he actually knocked England out of the World Cup. And actually, you know, if you look at, over his career, Gerard actually had form for these kind of bloopers. He had done it in 2003-2004 against Arsenal. He had done it against Chelsea in 2009-2010. And in both of these seasons, it ultimately led to Manchester United not winning the title. So a lot of people just assume that he did it on purpose. But maybe he did it. Or maybe, he, as Ferguson said, he was just not a top-top player. Like many Liverpool fans wanted to believe. He was just a good player, nothing more. Like a lot of English players of that time, you know, the, it, there's nothing. It's not a disgrace to say that they were, that they were overrated because they were overrated, but that that's just what it is. Uh, either way, the 2014-2015 season turned out to be abysmal for him. You know, culminating in that really hilarious game against Manchester United, where he came on as a halftime substitute and then was sent off in the 46th minute. Again, try to find memes for that one. Those even more hilarious than the slip, I think. But it was really, really funny. Uh, he was also beaten in the FA Cup semi-final by Aston Villa in his final Wembley appearance. Everyone thought that Liverpool would win that game because Aston Villa were relegation strugglers and that Gerrard would actually play his last game for Liverpool in an FA Cup final where he would win the FA Cup. You know, the whole thing was set up, but it didn't happen. His last game eventually did happen for Liverpool, though, and that was the 6-1 hammering by Stoke. Stoke, right? <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> what a way to end your career, right? At Liverpool, anyway. Uh, anyway, so Liverpool, well, they sold Suarez that season to Barcelona, who then went on to win the treble with them in 2015, just a season after. Uh, sadly, you know, Suarez leaving pretty much ripped the heart out of the team because he was, at that point, I think Liverpool in 2014 were a one-man team, really. They replaced him with Balotelli and Vicky Lambert. One of them was already past it, and the other one hadn't played at this sort of level before. Uh, anyway, they ultimately finished 6th that season, uh, Rodgers was gone by the autumn of the following one, and then in came Mr. Jurgen Klopp, who is now on the verge of delivering number 19 to Liverpool. So I guess it all worked out in the end. <laughs> uh, the key difference that I took though from the failed 2009 and 2014 challenges to the one in 2019, I think is that at the end of both of those seasons, in 2009 and 2014, they actually sold the key player from that team. They sold Xabi Alonso in 2009 and they sold Luis Suarez in 2014. In 2019, when they had another failed title challenge, where they came really close, they didn't sell anyone that last summer. Right, they kept the whole team together. And I think it looks like they learned their lessons this time from that uh, to try to keep that team together. And now, having had the experience of that title challenge, this year they've been much, much more consistent, much, much better. And, you know, the results are there for everyone to see. They're about to win the title. Uh, in any case, you know, this slip brought some of the happiest memories for fans that season for many of the clubs, I think. Even to this day, it is joked about and mocked about by fans in the Premier League. It's, you know, never-ending <laughs> running cycle. And I know I've laughed at many of the memes and videos on this. Um, actually, I just rewatched it for this uh, this uh, episode and it's still, it's still quite funny. Uh, but anyway, every big club has a moment like that in their history. There's lots of them for every club. Uh, you know, and there's nothing to be ashamed about. It happens to everyone. Uh, so at the end of the day, you just have to accept it. And you have to try and move forward without slipping. Sorry, that one was forced. But anyway, uh, that's it for today, people. Let me know what you thought of this episode format. And if you'd like to see more of this type of content. Uh, thank you so much. Take care. Hey. 
Hey guys, thank you for listening to that episode on late night football. Now please remember to do all the right things by clicking on the share, like and subscribe buttons. And say all the right things by commenting on the show. Positive feedback is welcome and negative feedback will be ignored. Nah, I'm just kidding. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Links can be found in the description to the show. Make sure to join me for the next one. Take care. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.